I've got a green light. Ah, yeah, okay, thank you. Should we start again? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, we won't start there. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Capernaum, town on the shore of, northern shore of Lake Galilee, where Jesus spent some of his early ministry. If you look back in the previous chapter, you'll see that, um, uh, that that's where Andrew and Peter lived, um, and Jesus uh, goes to their home. Heals Peter's mother-in-law. I'll resist any temptation to make any reference to mother-in-laws at that point. And then as a result of that, huge crowds gather around, uh, around Peter's, uh, or Peter's mother's home. People who have come to be healed. And, uh, and Jesus, it says, tells us that he heals many people. Many people are healed. After that, just because this connects into to what we're talking about this morning, uh, we read that uh, he says, actually, I, I'm not going to stay here. I, I need to go to the nearby villages. Why? This is one, uh, 138. So that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we have a clear statement of purpose for why Jesus uh, has come to this earth. So he wants to go and preach to those people who live in those villages. Uh, and we'll pick that up later. So in verse 2, so here he is. Uh, he's in this home in Capernaum. And it says in verse 2, So many gathered there that there was no room left even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Again, preached the word to them. What's the word that he preaches? Well, we don't know. The, I've got the text here. But if we go back to the beginning of Mark when Jesus started his ministry, chapter 1, verse 14, 15, he says this, doesn't it, that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is a message of good news It's a message that God's kingdom has come, and of course it's come in the shape of Jesus Christ himself. And people need to recognize that, and to to recognize that actually the kingdom of God has come for them. But for that to happen, they need to be willing to repent, to turn away from the way that they've been living, and they need to turn to God, to trust in in his message, trust in Jesus Christ, his Son and in so doing to receive forgiveness. That's why it's a message of good news. In verse 3 then, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Now we don't know if there's more than four. We don't know if they're taking it in turns to carry this man. In fact, actually we we know virtually nothing about these people, do we? We don't know anything about the paralytic other than he was paralyzed. And couldn't walk. That's all we know about him. We don't know how old he was. We don't know how long he'd been in this condition. Don't know where he was from. We don't know anything about these guys that bring him. We don't know what their relationship is with him. We don't know where they've come from. We don't know how old or anything. We don't know anything. All we know is that the man was paralyzed. And that these guys were determined to get him to Jesus. That's all we know. Why do they want to do that? Well, it doesn't tell us, but I think we can assume they want to get him to Jesus because they believe that Jesus can heal him. 
That's why the crowds are gathering outside this door. Because they believe that Jesus can heal. So when they get there, in verse 4, we find out there's so many other people got the same idea that they can't get anywhere near the house. They can't get in to where Jesus is. And at that point, they could have been pretty disappointed. And, th- and I can imagine them saying, you know, look, it's just not going to happen. We can't, we can't get there. It's difficult enough for one man to push his way through a crowd. For, for us to get through a crowd carrying a guy on a stretcher, impossible. And then one of them perhaps has this idea and says, look, no, no, we don't have to stop. Look, there's the stairs at the side of the house. If we can get up those stairs, we can get onto the roof. Yeah, and then what? Well, let's just break our way through the roof. What? Okay, <laughs> let's go for it then. And that's what they do, isn't it? And you can imagine as they start ripping, it talks about in another version, pulling the tiles off the roof, another, another gospel. You can imagine that those people underneath, they begin to hear this stuff going on above them. And then there's bits start falling through the roof as they break it up. And then finally there's a hole in the roof, a small hole that's getting bigger and bigger. And as they're looking up through this hole, they can see people's faces. And last of all, the hole is big enough to lower a man down on this stretcher, right down into the, into the, to the room. And uh, it's a pretty dramatic scene. It's, perhaps that's one of the reasons why it's recorded in all three, three of the Gospels. And, uh, and you can imagine the people just being amazed that this is happening. And Jesus, in a sense, is impressed, isn't he? Is he impressed with their friendship, their commitment, their ingenuity, their determination? Well, maybe. But more than anything else, what is he impressed with? He's impressed with their faith. He's impressed with their faith. That's what Jesus sees. He sees their faith, their faith, their belief, their conviction that if they get this man to Jesus, that Jesus can heal him. And he's impressed. And Jesus, as you know through the Gospels, is always impressed with people's faith. He's always encouraged when he sees people's faith. He's always pleased when he sees people's faith. And so this guy now who's in front of Jesus, Jesus turns to him as Andrew read to us. He said, turns to him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know what the guys on the roof thought about this, because obviously they were bringing him to Jesus so that Jesus would make him well again, so he could walk. We don't know what they're thinking. But we do know what some of the Pharisees are thinking round about. They're saying, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're absolutely right, and they're completely wrong, aren't they? They're right, actually. Only God can forgive sins. That's true. Only God can forgive sins. But they're completely wrong, of course, by assuming that this is blasphemy because Jesus is that one who can forgive sins. And then Jesus said, okay, so what's easier? To forgive his sins or to make him get up and walk? I don't know why Jesus said that. In one sense, you can't see forgiveness, can you? But you can see if somebody's been healed 
You could also perhaps think that maybe sometimes people could be healed by other means, but they can only be forgiven by this one means. But anyway, he says, so that you know that so that you know, you that think I'm blaspheming, that you know that, that I have authority to forgive, you get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks and he picks up the mat, the mat that was previously carrying him, he now picks that up and he carries it and he walks out. And everyone who sees it is absolutely amazed. They recognized that God was at work amongst them. They recognized that things were happening here that they they could not believe could happen. That God was at work and that faith was being exercised and that response, Jesus was responding to that faith. What's the main point of this story? I think the main point of this story is very simple actually and it's this that only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins and that he is willing to forgive sin. He wants to forgive sin. But there's a part that we play in that in terms of repentance and faith. But I think it's also true that there is a subtext here, an important subtext These guys brought a friend to Jesus. He needed to be healed, but actually Jesus realized that he needed something even more than his physical healing. He needed forgiveness. We don't know anything about this guy's past. We don't know what that's all about. But he needed to be forgiven. And this guy gets up and he walks out, and as he walks out, he walks out free. He walks out free from his paralysis. And he walks out free from his sin and the consequences of that sin. He gets up and he walks out. He needed that to happen. He needed God's forgiveness. And he also needed to be made well. And Jesus does both. But he also needed friends that were willing to bring him. Because otherwise he could not have come to Jesus. He could not, physically could not get there under his own steam. He needed friends to bring him, to bring him. Friends who had faith. And that reminds us that God uses people in his purposes and his plans for salvation. He doesn't just do it out there himself. The whole message, in a sense, of the gospel is that he uses people, ordinary people, as part of his plans and purposes. Why he should do that, I don't know, but that's what he does. So we just, if we'd gone back in Mark a few verses, we'd see how he calls uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John. He calls them to be his disciples. And he calls other people to be his disciples. And he sends them out. And then after a while, he says to them, do you know what, guys? Talked about this last week. I'm going. I'm going. I'm leaving. You're staying. I'm going. But as you stay, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come upon you. And you then are going to tell and teach and baptize people in my name. That's for you. That's for you to do. As we thought about briefly last week. 
you'll be my witnesses. And that's true then, and it is true today as well. That is the way that God has chosen to work. How did you, how did you, how did I come to hear the good, the good news about Jesus Christ? got time you could discuss that with a neighbor but time's running on as usual was it a vision i know one or two people have had visions did you uh, did you hear a voice speaking to you a bit like saul i my dad introduced me to an alcoholic who heard a voice he was walking past the church and the voice said joe joe i'm caught speaking to you he went into church, and that was the start of him becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, God does work in those ways, but almost invariably, if you think of if talking about Muslims having visions, of one, almost invariably, there are people involved in that process as well. And I don't suppose there's anybody here who's come to faith in Jesus Christ where other people have not been involved in that process. People who've prayed for us, people who've spoken to us, people who've shown us in a sense what the gospel's like by the way that they live people who might have invited us somewhere people who've actually explained the gospel to us god uses people in the journey of faith let's just look at three things then that are important in this story about these friends which applied then and which apply now first of all these friends were convinced that this man had a real need. He wasn't just putting it on. He wasn't just uh, doing a sickie or whatever, claiming a sickie or whatever else. He was paralyzed. And they knew, they knew that 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 could not be healed. That could not be sorted out. There was no medicine, there was no treatment that could make this man walk again. They were absolutely convinced of his need. How do you see people? How do you see, how do I see people? How do I see myself? How do you see the people that are in your family? How do you see the people that live next door? Do you think they're basically good? They're okay? And it's absolutely true that some of them in some some ways are are good. Yeah, you know, we've got guys down, you know, that we've got neighbors. They're good people in that sense. Does that mean they're going to go to heaven? No. No. Because our good people, our definition of goodness, is not God's definition of goodness. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and called him good, what did Jesus say? He said, there's only one, only one person who's good. And he didn't go on and point, say exactly, but of course he was pointing to himself. He's the only good person that deserves to go to heaven. The rest of us don't, however good we are. The truth is that we have a real need. And a need that we cannot meet ourselves. And a need that nobody else can sort out. Only God can do it. Only God can forgive sins. And if He doesn't forgive our sins, then our sins remain with us. And then in eternity we will account for those sins. That is the message of the Gospel. We could look at many, many passages. I've got one or two written down here, but we need to move on. And yet people see themselves as good and they think that that's okay. So a guy that I used to go fishing with in Chard, 
great, uh, got, on, got on well, good friends, whatever else we talked about, Christian faith, and he was not interested. Not interested. He got all various arguments that I couldn't answer and all the rest of it. And yet, I remember the day when I'm in the car with him and his wife, and his wife's brother has just died. And his wife turns to, to me, and they turn to me, and in the car, and they say, well, he was a good person. He'll be now looking down from heaven, smiling at us, because he was a good person. It's really hard to deal with, isn't it? I don't think I said anything. Too scared and whatever else. And how do you deal with people in their grief? But that's not what the Bible teaches. You, Rob, you don't have any faith. You don't believe. So why are you talking to me about seeing him being in heaven now with God? You don't believe that. We don't deserve to go to heaven to be with God. We cannot deserve it. That's what Jesus says, doesn't he, in the next few verses when he's talking in the next passage about the Pharisees. You see, they thought they were okay. They thought they were, oh, they thought they were healthy, so they didn't need a doctor. I've been to the doctors a few times recently, um, which is unusual for me, thank goodness. And uh, you know, and after you've waited in, you know, the, in the in the uh, in the area for at least half an hour seems, and uh, you're then shown in. I can, you can imagine, can't you, going into the doctors and, uh, and the opening line is, and how can I help you today? Uh, what, what's, what's the problem? And I say, um, actually, nothing. Uh, right, okay, so uh, why are you here then? Uh, well, I'm here just to thought, come and have a chat, actually, and talk to you about that big new building that you're building behind. I just, you know, it's very impressive, you know, tell me a bit more about you can imagine very quickly the doctor would say, actually, um, Mr. Conlon, you're, you're wasting my time. And there are people out there who are sick and I need to see them, so uh, goodbye. Well, the healthy don't need a doctor. Or those that think they're healthy don't need a doctor. It's only those that realize that they are sick. These people were convinced that this man needed Jesus. Jesus was the only one that could help him. Secondly, they believed, they were convinced of his need, but they were confident that Jesus could help him, as I've just said. Don't know how they knew that, don't know what they'd seen or heard about Jesus, but they just knew that they'd got to get him to Jesus. If we can only get him to Jesus then things will be different. We need to be convinced that we and other people have a problem and we need to be confident that Jesus is the only answer to that problem. Hear that? We all know that. But just hear it again. We need to be convinced that everyone has a problem and that only Jesus is the answer to that problem. No one else. Nothing else. We need to believe that the gospel is true. That the things that Jesus said, as recorded here, are true. The truth. 
complete and absolute truth. We need to believe that when he says things like, whoever believes in me has eternal life, that they're true. Not through anything we do, not through any good works, but simply by believing and trusting in what the Lord, who he is and what he has done, that we will receive eternal life. Matthew believed it, didn't he? And was prepared to act on it. He was prepared to give up his comfortable life and he followed Jesus. He burnt his bridges and he went out with Jesus. He followed him. And then he invited all his fellow tax collectors to come and listen too. It was Bishop Ryle who said the words, a converted man will not want to go to heaven on his own. A truly converted man will not want to go to heaven on his own. If he's truly converted, he will want people to go with him or her. And, uh, and that's, that's where we come in, isn't it? We often hear that, sometimes hear that phrase in gospel sermons, don't we? If, if being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you, me? Not by attending church, but by what happens outside of church. And this is where I think I struggle. Maybe people, you struggle too. You see, we say we believe it. We say we believe these things. And yet somehow it doesn't quite connect with our actions. It's almost as if we quarantined our faith and we've put it in a box up there and we've said, that's, that's what I believe there. But now, here, Monday morning, not so sure. These people were convinced that he need, had a need. They were co- confident that Jesus could heal him. And they had compassion for this man. They were determined to get him there. Who cared enough about you to pray for you? Who cared enough about me? to talk to me about Jesus. Here's a very strong statement, but I, I guess it's true. Well, it is true. <laughs> wish it wasn't true, but I think it is. Rico, Rico Tice, this is in a booklet that we're going to perhaps be using uh, as a church that Darren has got for us. Rico Tice said in his book, he said, if you believe this, the gospel, in other words, then you will tell other people. If you believe this gospel, then you will tell other people. If you believe this and you don't tell people, it can mean only one thing. That you don't love them. (laughs) That you don't really love them. You don't love them enough, Andrew, to be overcome the fear that you have about what they'll think about you, to overcome possibly some ridicule that there might be of being odd or losing status. Because Andrew, if you love them enough, and you, Andrew, you say you believe this. If you believed it and you loved those people, those family members that are not believers, Never mind all the people who live in my street. Never mind all the houses I drive past on my way to church or walk past. If you believe this, 
and you had any, any compassion, you'd tell them. You'd want to tell them. However difficult it might seem to be. You see, we're about, as a church, we say we're about making Jesus known. And that has got various facets to it, all of which are important. But we cannot ignore, we cannot ignore that one of the fundamentals of that is to make Jesus known to people who do not know him. And God might choose in his mercy to give them a vision or speak to them in some other way. But primarily he said it's through you that people will know about me. What I, what I did about the gospel that can bring them forgiveness. So if it's going to happen, if it's going to happen here at Abbey Church, it isn't going to happen through getting a great community center. I mean, good as that is, I'm, not, I'm all for those things. It isn't going to be happened by putting on good events, and it's good to put on good events. It isn't even going to happen by actually just having Sunday services primarily, and I have to take hold of this, and so do each of us, primarily it's going to happen through me and you being willing to do what we know we should do because of what we believe and because we care for other people. That's how it's going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, you could have your community centre and we could have our wonderful events and we could be doing this and we could be doing that and still people would not hear. Still people would not hear. Because unless, unless we are actually those connectors, those connecting people who carry with us the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will not hear. And this is really serious, isn't it? And it's really important. And it's really difficult. But that's what I think God wants to say to us. And that's one of the things I think we can learn from this passage that people of faith can bring other people, exercise their faith in Jesus Christ, exercising faith in a sense by overcoming the fears that they naturally have, exercising faith and bringing people to Jesus. What happens then is between them and Jesus. That's not up to us. We can't heal anybody. We can't save anybody. All we can do is be part of that process that brings them to a place where they can meet Jesus for themselves. What happens then is their affair and God's affair. We're not, that's not us. Our job is just in the bringing and being part of that bringing process. And as we learned last week, as we do that, we know from the Gospels, we could look at lots and lots of verses, we know that as we are willing to do that, that God says, I go with you. I go with you. I will help you. I'll help you do what you feel you can't do, and that is even help you to bring others. That's his promise to us. So, the message of that passage was about forgiveness. But we have a, pro a part in that process. To be convinced that people have a need a need that only Jesus can meet, and that therefore we have, to, we have to be willing, because of what we believe, and because of our care for them, to seek to bring them to him. And that's what I'm praying for 
in my own life. Let me just tell you, we shared the other week, didn't we, the other Sunday. We prayed that we'd have opportunity to meet and say something about Jesus. Do you know, let me just tell you the truth. Only then so that you'll, you'll realize I'm not just preaching at you. I have not talked, I've not talked directly to, to anyone about Jesus notice about Jesus. I've talked to people about coming to church. I've talked to people I work for a church. I've talked to them in that sense. I've not talked to anybody directly about Jesus I don't know, for two or three years I don't know, a long time. Not once. Not once. And, and I work for the church. Isn't this disgraceful? I know it's, I'm just telling you the truth because I, I want you to understand I share the situation. But I've been praying that I will talk to people about Jesus. And in the last three weeks, I've talked to two people directly about Jesus. And that's a huge step for me. I know it shouldn't be, but it is. It's possible for all of us. All of us. We don't need to be extroverts. We don't need to be charismatic personalities. We just need to have a willingness to say, God, I'm willing to be used by you to be part of that process of bringing people to Jesus.